Welcome to Chocolate with a Side of Medicine. My name is Dr. Sunshine, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Amy Jo, MD, Dr. Chris, and Dr. No-No. Now that you've gotten a taste of who we are, we're basically going to go ahead and start this thing. One thing that I would like to say that we didn't get a chance to mention last episode is we never really gave you guys a feel of how often we're going to be giving you guys episodes. Um, so for full transparency, myself, Amy Jo, MD, and Dr. Chris are actively seeing patients every single day in the office. And then you have Dr. Nono, who's actively seeing patients every day in the hospital. So in order for all of our schedules and all the stars to align, you guys can expect an episode from us every two weeks. If for some reason you get an episode on back-to-back weeks, you can look at that as like an extra piece of chocolate you weren't expecting. But for the most part, you know, you guys can definitely expect an episode every two weeks. And if you get lucky, maybe every week. Um, with that being said, we're going to go ahead and get this thing kicked off. And we're going to go ahead and start with what's trending in medicine for this week. So, hey, guys, it's Amy Jo, MD, and we're going to talk about what's trending I am sure I am not the only person that was heartbroken when Chadwick Boseman uh, made his exit from this earth. We were all sad. The Black Panther really did die. And what it brought up was, how does this happen? So what we know is that it sounds like in 2016, he was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer, has had treatments, surgeries, and was just unable to overcome his disease process and he passed away. So of course, uh, a lot of patients in my clinic, a lot of people on Facebook, people in general are saying, how does this happen? How do I prevent it from happening to me? So we're going to talk about colon cancer, screenings, poop, all of the above, and how we get here. And more importantly, you know, how you keep yourself safe. So Let's talk. I'm going to talk to you guys like I talk to my patients. So pull up a chair. I've got my chair. We are in the clinic. Let's discuss it. Screening. So when we start talking about cancers, we have an ability to screen certain cancers. Colon cancer is one of them that we've done a pretty good job at figuring out how to screen to catch it early, which is always the name of the game. If you have a cancer, We are trying to catch it early. Colon cancers are generally screened between the age of 50 to uh, 75. And we do that in a couple different ways. So most people know uh, I'm 50. I've got to get the colonoscopy. Everybody fears the colonoscopy. Yes, I'm talking about the thing where you get the big jug, you drink it till you poop your brains out. Then when you're done pooping your brains out, we make you poop one more time just to make sure you really did poop your brains out. And then once we've certain that you have pooped your whole brains out, we send you to the GI doctors, that's the gastroenterology doctors, and we do this colonoscopy. We take a camera and we look from the bottom up to see, do you have polyps? Are you bleeding? Are you inflamed? Did we find something else in there? to figure out, is there anything in here that suggests that you may have a cancer or you may have something that looks like it may be cancer down the line? That's the general rule. Now, a couple of things are happening right now. Overall, since we started the screenings, and I think uh, we started doing colonoscopies in 1969 or something like that. Since we've been doing those screenings, 
even as our frequency, how many people get colon cancer has been deep. Well, how many people die of colon cancer was going down because we were able to catch it. We've got an increased rate happening, particularly in young people. So when Chadwick passed, it highlights, you know, everyone's fears to the point that some groups, so doctors have all these organizations. I don't know if you guys know this. So there's an organization for everybody. We're all family medicine physicians. We've got our own organization. Your, your, your GI doctors have their own organization. Your internal medicine doctors have their own organization. And within those, specialties have their own organizations. And they all put together recommendations based on what they like to study, the things that they're studying, the things they're seeing. So there is an American Cancer Society that, based on all of this colon cancer, said, we think maybe you should screen people not at 50, but you need to start screening people at 45 if there is enough risk. If after sitting down with your doctor, there's enough risk, you should start being screened right then and there. So now, as a primary care doctor, when you sit down with me in the office, we've got to talk about, does it make sense to start you at 50 or does it make sense to start you 45 to 49. And so now, so, and so in my office, 45 to 75 has now become the range in which you can get screened. Now, somebody somewhere is saying, there is no way I'm drinking that jug of anything. And there's no way I'm going to the hospital to have a camera put in my butt. I feel you. You've got some options. So there's lots of other ways to screen. The cool thing about the colonoscopy is if you do it once and it's normal, you're good. Don't repeat it for 10 years. Everybody's happy. Now, if it's not normal, that's another conversation. But some people don't want to do it. So we've got other tests that we can use. Um, We can use what we call a fit test, which is where we give you a little envelope. You go home. You give us a stool sample. You put it in the envelope, you send it back, and we run it to see if you've got anything in it that suggests that you have a cancer or something suspicious. If it says, no, you don't, you're good for a year. If it says, yes, you do, you need a colonoscopy. You also have the Cologuard test. If you've ever watched the commercials, there's a little box bouncing around, dancing like he's happy. Yeah, same thing. So we can give you that box. And you take it home, you give me a stool sample, you send it back. And if that looks okay, then you are okay for another three years. If it's not okay, you got to get a colonoscopy. There's also what we call an FOBT card. They're not used that much, but you can use them. Kind of the same as the fit test. You take it home. Well, you can do those stool samples in the office. And as long as they're okay, You can repeat it in a year. But at the foundation of this is we need some poop. We need to screen it because we need to know, are you at risk of having colon cancer? And if people understand that basic thing, when you are talking to your doctor, that is how we keep you safe from colon cancer from a screening standpoint. Now, as always, because... I'm a good primary care physician and I love to talk nutrition. 
there are some lifestyle changes that you can make, right, to decrease the likelihood that you end up with a colon cancer. And this is where it gets hard in my particular patient population, because what I am about to tell you is people who eat high amounts of processed meats have increased risk of colon cancer. This isn't you might. This is well-known, well-studied. World Health Organization put that information out years ago. And for some reason, it's not really getting down to common understanding. So we know that people who eat lots of deli meats, bacon, sausage, those kind of processed meats can increase their risk of colon cancer by like 18% or something like that. That's insane. However, people who will decrease their processed meats, eat your fruits and vegetables, right? Tend to do better than people who eat a lot of bacon. So uh, I talk about that a lot. Like stop eating bacon, stop eating sausage, stop eating a lot of deli meat. If you really are concerned that you've got a significant risk of ending up with colon cancer. Now, nutrition is hard because it varies by, you know, who's doing the talking. So I tell people, you know, I feel like doctors should uh, lay out their biases coming through the door. So let me tell you my bias. I believe in a good plant-based diet. So that's my angle. Because somebody somewhere is going to look up something and say, ah, Amy Jo, what are you talking about? Amy Jo, MD, you wrong. I looked at this research. It says this. That's fine. I am saying that a plant-based diet is the best approach if you want to decrease your risk of things like colon cancer. Now, people ask me, well, what about dairy? Well, dairy is an animal product, but to be determined. So I spend a lot of time listening to a lot of blogs and podcasts, just like you all. So sometimes I'm a patient, sometimes I'm a consumer. Every day I'm a doctor. But dairy seems to be kind of a question mark. There are some studies that suggest that Dairy uh, is protective, probably for because of the calcium, not necessarily from the dairy itself, but the calcium in the dairy might be protective. Or uh, some suggest that dairy is going to increase your risk of cancers, and so dairy in itself is a hard is a hard one to sell. I can't really make a solid comment on that, but what we know for sure is the processed meats can't help you out, not for colon cancers. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of research I've seen, you know, with people talking about like the keto diet, you know, the paleo diet, the pescatarian, vegetarian, vegan, like all those different diets out there. Um, What I guess what would be your opinions on people pursuing one of those types of diets to help reduce their risk of colon cancer? Question for the group. So, so I think that I think the research is, you know, pretty clear on it that the the meats, the processed meats, right? So we are really talking about processed meats. We kind of lump meats in all together. So you know, the the plant based people, the vegans, the vegetarians, kind of jump on board and say, "Look, processed meats. That means no meats." It technically doesn't say that. It really does say processed meats are going to increase your risk of colon cancer. Um, with that said. Vegetarians and vegans have a lower incidence of colon cancer. I agree with Amy Jo MD. If we're talking specifically about colon cancer, then processed meats is, would be the thing that we would focus the most on. Now, mind you, vegetarian diets, keto diets, each one of those diets has their pros and cons. 
we already know that vegetarians and different vitamin deficiencies and changes in cholesterol with keto diets. So they're, each, of, each of the diets has their own pros and cons. But in terms of colon cancer and minimizing your risk, the processed meats is a thing to really hone in on just because people who are not vegetarians tend to have diets that have high amounts of these things and they could easily cut. Well, I won't say easily. It's a possibility that if they want to make the nutrition changes in their day to day, that they have the option of doing so. That's my view on it. But doctor, you are telling me you are telling me to give up my hot dogs, my sausages, my hot links, my hot wings. How am I going to live? Like what? What's yes? What is this? Yes, I am. <laughs> you will live. In fact, in fact, you may not live if you continue to eat <laughs> about ten to fifteen hot links a week. There are some people, and that's just part of their daily diet. Some people, you know. Especially, especially wherever you're from, if you're from the South, if it's the summertime, if it's grilling season, it all depends. It all depends. And sometimes you go to a barbecue family reunion, it's July, hot links on the grill all day, every day. It's just, I mean, and also I'll shameless plug. I'm a Floridian. We have hurricane season during hurricane season. When the power goes out, all we do is grill. We are barbecuing until the power comes back. Whatever you have, if you got the meats, put them on the grill. We can eat barbecue for like a week or two straight. Just cause, just because we don't have power. You don't have power. I mean, this is hurricane hurricane parties are a new concept too. I'm from Michigan, so we don't have hurricanes up here, but <laughs> we have really bad blizzards. <laughs> I'm just letting you know that the key to this is just um is getting the word out and spreading awareness because I feel like once people are aware that these things, you know, can be <laughs> Can, you know, when they're aware of the risk that they can be increasing it within themselves and they can be like, all right, now it's my personal responsibility because you're responsible for your own health. Like, yeah, we're the doctors. We can advise you, give you the info, but you're responsible for your own health at the end of the day. So if you let them know and you raise awareness and you raise education, then they can make the decision that they would like to. Yeah, I totally agree because I have patients that, I mean, I'm sure we all see people and, you know, you're on the go. You eat a lot of fast food, a lot of burgers you know, and that's just not, that's not healthy, you know, and you're just increasing your risk of other things, especially the colon cancer, like we were talking about. You know, I'll do it like this. I, I, here's what I will generally do. I ask people like, do you smoke? Do you smoke cigarettes? You get a strong no, right? Mm -mm. No, smoke no cigarettes. What do you mean? (laughs) No. Uh Or you get that. Or you get that classic, uh, what do you mean? Like, what what type of smoke? What type of smoke are we talking about? Yes, but <laughs> most people are like, no, I don't smoke, right? Well, why don't you smoke? Because it's not good for you. All I'm saying is, you don't smoke. That same energy that you feel about not smoking, keep that energy for the bacon. Because they're, they're both causing cancer. Like, you know, if you're scared of cancer, you're just scared of cancer. So... But bacon is so good. Bacon is so good. I heard, I know. I, I know. I'm sure it, it looks good. Bacon goes on everything. Like you can't go anywhere where they won't serve you some bacon on something, right? What do you need? You want some bacon on it? Yes. It's just not, <laughs> it's just, it's not working for, for colon cancer. It's not working. So when I was looking at the articles and like reading all like, you know, now that everybody's kind of like talking about, you know, Chadwick's friends are talking about him and reflecting. 
I feel like there's been a couple of people that keep talking about how he was pushing like eating healthy and all this stuff and like pushing like plant-based diets and everything. Like it's a thing. I'm sure um, if he were here to advise us, eating healthy would be just like the foundation because Colon cancers are cruel, right? We're messing with your GI system. We operate around food. Dr. Sunshine is talking about hurricane parties. And even when you're in danger, right? You might get washed away. What you're thinking about is, but what are we going to eat tonight, right? Like, if, we're not away, <laughs> if we don't get washed away, uh, what are we eating? Like, that's how we communicate. We celebrate around food. We date around food. Like, we are when we're sad, there's food involved. I can't imagine having a disease process that's going to take away my ability to enjoy food. But I also can't imagine that I knowingly like risk health mm-hmm. over some bacon and some sausage. I mean, we can definitely all attest to the fact we have seen some crazy cancer cases revolving around colon cancer coming from our residency at Cook County. So, I mean, we've seen it all firsthand, the effects that late stage uh, colon cancer can have. And I think our training has definitely shown us, you know, the effects that it has on, you know, primarily the black population. Like these colon cancers, they're not you know, usually when we when we see them or when we diagnose them in people of color, you know, they're usually late stage, um, you know, stage three, stage four, and then hopefully we catch it before it becomes metastatic. But even if it's in the late stages, if you're coming to the hospital, so AKA, if you're coming in through the ER and you're admitted to the hospital and I get to see you, um, you know, you're probably coming in for blood in the stool, um, coming in for belly pain. Um, and they do a CT and they find, you know, they find something that looks like cancer on your scan. Um, you know, we're calling the GI docs to come down to scope you, uh, like what Dr. Amy Joe had um, told us previously. Um, but usually, you know, when it gets to that stage, we still recommend changing your diet. But usually at that stage, it's, it's a little too late. Um, so we like we always, always this is why primary care is so important that we're whatever we're telling you like eat healthy eat right exercise we're not just telling you that just to make us you know sound good we're telling you that because we've seen people die from this illness and we're trying to improve the health of the health outcomes in our community and you know because as doctors that is specifically what we do we're trying to prevent this from getting to a stage where it is at that point untreatable and all we can do is make you comfortable so, yeah. you know, when I think about it and we're young docs, right? We, you know, are not that far removed from training. And so there's lots more medicine to see. But I'm just thinking about my like I was the first person to tell them that there was a colon cancer. When I think about the ages of that, I actually have not had anyone over the age of 53 that I had to tell they had a colon cancer. Like everybody's been really young and that that's insane. You know, the Monday before uh, we heard of uh, Chadwick's death, I think I was looking at 
another young person in their 40s that, you know, had colon cancer. So that became very alarming. One, I'm that's me. Like I am we're we're all on the same age group, right? So when I am looking at someone 40s, 30s in some cases, um, who is now got colon cancer, um, that is frightening, right? That's frightening as a doctor, that's frightening as a human being. And if there is a way to screen people, now, you know, let's be clear that I don't I don't have anything where you screen sooner than 45 unless you unless you uh have symptoms, right? So there are some reasons why when you come into the clinic, hopefully it's not in the hospital, but there's some reasons when you come into the clinic and we screen you. But like Dr. Nono was saying, that's generally you're having bleeding or you're really constipated or all of a sudden you're having severe pain and diarrhea. We think you're inflamed. That may get you screened for a colonoscopy. And in that case, we may find something. Uh, but 45 is the recommended age from the American Cancer Society. So 45 and up tends to be where, where they're screening. But I have seen people younger than 45 diagnosed with colon cancer, which really means that people have got to be paying attention to their body. And it also really means that what you're putting in your body matters because if you're under the, the screening radar, then the only thing you have is your health. So, so going kind of along with that, Dr. Chris, like, what are some things that, you know, people can look out for to say, hey, you know, let me come in, you know, to get this checked out. Like, let me come in to get this, talk to my doctor. Like, what are some things that I need to bring up with them to make sure I don't have colon cancer? Okay. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because it's important to know your bowel habits. And there's so many times that I have gotten patients that are very, they're very embarrassed to talk about poop, right? But, and you shouldn't be embarrassed to talk to your doctor about poop because honestly, we've seen a lot. It's okay. We all do it. We all do it. Everybody poops. We all should be doing (laughs) it. Let's talk about it. We we all should be doing it because- Should be doing it, right. Everybody is doing it. That's true. That's true. If you're not pooping, that is a problem. That's true. That's true. You need to poop. Okay. And it's important for you to know your bowel habits and know how often you are pooping and what your poop looks like, because that helps us to um, find out if there's something that we need to do. Right. So basically, um, normally you should be at least, if you poop at least maybe about three times a day, that's good. Even if you're not pooping every day, you poop at least once every other day, that's okay. As long as you're pooping at least more than three times a week, then you're Wait, okay. Wait, so you're telling me premium pooping is three times a day? No, no. Well, no. You don't have to poop three times a day. But if you're pooping about three times a day, it's okay. If you're doing it more than three times a day, then there could be something going so on. So if I'm five-star pooping, five-star pooping you, means I went... You probably probably got some diarrhea or something. (laughs) (laughs) Something might be happening. (laughs) So an issue would probably be if you're not pooping enough. So usually that's when they're coming Mm -hmm. in. Um, If you're having like extreme abdominal pain, but you come in and say, yeah, doc, I haven't pooped in like two weeks. 
That's um, going to get. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a little. That's a little. That's a lot. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's definitely concerning. <laughs> so um, if you're not pooping for at least like that two weeks, you're not passing any gas. That's concerning. Now, mind you, to Dr. Chris's point, if you come in and you tell me, "Hey, Doc, I haven't pooped in a week." then my immediate next question is going to be, all right, well, let's start at the beginning. Tell me what your normal is. That's that's where I always start. Tell me what is your normal? Because you're telling me that this is, you're bringing it up to me because apparently this is different from your normal. So let's start there. And a lot of patients sometimes can't even tell you what their normal is. I'm like, well, how often do you normally poop? And they'll be like, ah, you know, every now and then. I'm like, no, 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 no. How, how often do you do you poop every morning? Do you have a schedule? Do you poop after you have coffee or it's lit or is it always sporadic? Because these are all different because the, the job of the doctor is to take whatever you give me and I'm like creating different possibilities in my brain, right? So whatever you're giving me, it helps me to like build this picture in my brain. But if you give me nothing, then I'm literally like dragging info out of you. So I completely agree with Dr. Chris. Knowing your normal is key. What does it normally look like? How much do you, how often do you normally go? What's up? <laughs> yes, yes, that is very important. That is very important. Yes, how often? What what consistency is it? Firm? Is it brown? Is it white? Do you see blood? I don't know why it's so hard to get people to describe their poop. Like some people really struggle. Well, people people are embarrassed to so like you know turn around and look in the toilet like oh that's that's what poop looks like you know like people feel embarrassed at like that very action so but you being able to describe what your poop looks like like does it float does it sink is it you know is it well formed is it like liquid you know is it hard to come out like these are all tips and you know tricks that we use to better help you figure out what is going on with your GI system so don't be afraid. Don't be, you know, embarrassed to bring this up. I mean, this is literally what we do for a living. So please give us all the info up front. And then that way we can Listen, help you out. keep it all the way real with you. <laughs> please. <laughs> if pooping made my stomach hurt as bad as some of you all are saying you're in pain, I'm going to have to go and look at that. Like, I want to know what just tried to take my whole life. <laughs> something just tried to take my whole life and it involved me pooping. I am going to turn around to look to see what, what was that? Like, what <laughs> so that I can tell people like how I almost, you know, how I almost, you know, did make it. So I, I need, I need people mm-hmm. to look like you got to look, yes, you yes, know, that's uh, important. And let me tell you, you what look. normal poop looks like. So I can give you a description. So you know what poop is supposed to look like normally. Okay. So if it's like a sausage shaped, and it has some lumps in it, like kind of lumpy, that's okay. You're a little slightly constipated. But if it's like it's just like sausage and you got some cracks that kind of look in it, in it, then that's okay too. And if it's like sausage, but it's like smooth and soft, that's okay. So the key word, if it looks like a sausage, you're all right. Now, if it's hard, like separate hard lumps and they look like marbles, you're probably constipated. <laughs> And you probably know you're constipated because you're straining to, to, to get those little marbles out. Okay. Now, if it's if it's soft blobs and you got some cut edges, so that and it passes easily, you probably need to increase your fiber intake. Now, if it's fluffy looking with ragged edges, 
then you you probably got some inflammation and probably some diarrhea. And if it's watery, then you know you got some diarrhea. So if you are peeing poop, that is a huge problem. <laughs> and you need to let somebody know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you should let somebody know. Yes. And and then the color of your poop should normally be like brown, like a dark brown. If you see that your poop looks red, that's a problem. You probably have blood in your stool. Or if you were, if it's red and you were eating like a lot of beets and cherries, that could make your poop look a little red. But for the most part, if you got blood, if you see blood in your stool, then you probably, you might have a bleed. So that's, that's concerning. Um, if your poop is a green, it kind of could be kind of what you're eating. Um, if you're eating a lot of spinach and kale, it might turn it like a little green. Or if it's orange, um, maybe because you're eating stuff that are orange colored foods or stuff that have like um, foods that contain beta carotene, like carrots, um, that could kind of make your stool look a little orange. But if it's yellow or greasy looking, then, um, you, you have an issue that it might have, you might have a little too much fat in your diet that's causing that. If you see any mucus in your stool, that's concerning. If, like I said, it was red looking, black, tarry looking stool, that could also mean that you might have a bleed. So all of those things are concerning and you should go to talk to your doctor about that. So going along with that also, so, you know, these are also, these are so Starting out, these are things that we look for just in your normal habits to see, you know, if your poop, you know, constipation, inflammation, diarrhea, you know, we're all kind of going through the differentials in our head and formulating a plan for you. But additional information like, oh, doc, you know, I lost like 30 pounds, you know, over the past like three months or, you know, I just feel really tired and really weak. And I just, you know, I have don't have any energy to do anything anymore. You know, those are all things that we, you know, take into account and, you know, determine what type of workup that we're going to do for you to see kind of what what the issue is. In addition, you know, when we ask about your family history, we're not doing that to be nosy. Uh, we are clearly doing that to get a good sense of does this run in your family? You know, is this genetic? You know, is this something that we need to look into further? Um so with colon cancer in African-American communities, you know, there is, and not just African-American communities, I misspoke. So there is hereditary um, types of colon cancer that if they, if you have a first degree relative or if you have anyone else in your family that has, you know, a lot of polyps on a colonoscopy, that is, uh, that places you at higher risk for developing colon cancer in the future. So something like that, like, oh, yeah, I had a, you know, my dad, you know, came in, they did, they did a scope up, you know, and saw like all these polyps in his, in his uh, scan. Um, so that is something that we need to know, because that determines when we would order a colonoscopy for you. I'm going to take it even one step, even like less than where Dr. Nono just took it. I just need you to know your family history. 
Because Dr. Yeah. Dr. Nono's over here, you know, she's really giving you good advice in terms of like, if you know it, it's important to tell your doctor. I'm going to even take in a notch under that. You need to just know your family history because there's tons of patients who we come across and they know that their mom or their dad passed from cancer, but they won't know what type of cancer, what happened. They're in the hospital. It was a lot of stuff. I don't really know the details, but especially, you know, once you become an adult and you're in charge of your own health, because remember, you know, we want to empower you guys to be in charge of your own health. And it's important for you to know your family history. So if you have to, you know, at the family reunion or at church or wherever you see your family the most often, it's okay if you can ask them some of these questions, you know, and it's good to be like, hey, what happened to aunt so-and-so? Hey, mom, I know you had a surgery when you were younger. What happened in that surgery? Because that's going to, all of that influences your health as well. Because I can tease out the fine details. Yes. If, if you know the information, I can tease out the fine details. I... I just need you to know the facts, right? Just bring me the facts and we will talk through it and we'll figure it out. And, and and all your primary care doctors are like that. If you've got the information, they can ask enough questions and make a decision. You do not have to try hard to get screened for colon cancer. We will gladly screen you for colon cancer. <laughs> this is not a this is not the gauntlet, right? You can get screened with no problems. We just need some basic information to go. Uh, and we will take it from there. For me, what's most important is that you get screened, that you are aware that you should get a screening for colon cancer and that you ask about those screenings and that you get those screenings. Exactly. And just kind of uh, piggybacking off of that. So we know the prep. So the gallon jug of the stuff that you're going to drink for the colonoscopy we all know that's not pleasant. Uh, we, we've all been there. We understand. But honestly, if I had a, if I would have had the choice to drink a jug of whatever liquid to make me poop my brains out to know that I do not have cancer, I would gladly take that choice then to never know and then eventually develop cancer a couple of years from now. So it's, it's, uh, day of inconvenience but after that you have the answers you know what's going on if everything looks good it checks out then you're good for at least the next 10 years so please please bear with us you know when we give you the jug of go lightly it's go lightly it's it's a terrible name for what we give you because you are not going lightly you're going very hard (laughs) but with that you know at least we clean you out and we know we can see what's going on and give you the answers that we, you know, want to figure out. So, so yeah. Yeah, that's also true. But, you know, as Amy, as uh, Dr. Amy Jo said, we, there are other options as well. So yes, we want like you to do the colonoscopy, but you have other options as a guard and the fit test that are also effective. Because I do have a lot of patients, they just don't want to do the the colonoscopy. And they really don't want to do the colonoscopy right now in the middle of the pandemic. So I've got lots of patients that are turning 45, people are turning 50, they know they're due. And they're like, I do not want to go into the hospital right now. I need another option. There is another option for you. Please ask your doctor for your other options. Fit test is a good option. It has been studied. It is... uh, a good first step. The only thing you will have to know is that it doesn't necessarily replace the colonoscopy as long as it's negative. 
okay. If it is positive, you need a colonoscopy. So I don't want you to say, well, I took the FIT test. That should be enough. The FIT tests are a good tool. Cologuard is a good tool. FOBT cards are a good tool. But if any of those tools are positive or they showing something suspicious, your next step is going to be the colonoscopy. Okay, guys, I hope you got a lot from the segment mm-hmm. about knowing your bowel habits, what signs you need to look for when you need to go to the doctor and talk about um, abnormal things with your poop. Okay. Um, so now we're going to kick it off to Dr. Nono, who's going to introduce our question segment. All righty. So let's start with the first question. So we have, I live in a state where the mask mandates are not present everywhere. For example, required in grocery stores, but not required in retail stores. Should I wear a mask all the time or only one mandated? Thanks for any input you have on this. All right, anonymous. So, okay, so we have skipped colonoscopy. We're down. We're back to COVID. We are, okay, this, this is COVID. It's all, this is COVID, it's all COVID. All right. It's all COVID. It's all politics. It's all United States. It's just a mess. But um, so for so in my in my opinion. Honestly, this is probably the most politically charged response to a public health crisis that the U.S. has ever seen. Um, honestly, the key, the key to controlling spread for this virus is really to have divisive leadership wherever you're located and the paying attention to the recommendations from our public health experts. As you have probably have seen from our news outlets and just in general, This has not been the case in the United States. So this is kind of the mess that we're dealing with. Um, Honestly, just common sense. If they're telling you to wear a mask in the grocery store, but not the retail shop, but you still have the same number of people in both, why wouldn't you wear a mask in both the shopping center and the grocery store? And then honestly, just to be safe, I mean, if you are in anywhere where there is more people than yourself uh, within close proximity to you, then I would just wear a mask. I, there's no question about it. You don't have to think about it. If, there, if you are not in your apartment or in your house and you are not the only person there and you're not the only person that you have been in contact with or someone else that doesn't live with you, um, Anyone that is new into your general bubble or, or to your environment, just wear a mask. Wear a mask, you know, do the six feet distancing and just that's that's the end of it. Just just wear a mask wherever you go, because you we don't we don't know how far this virus has spread. So at this point, we have to assume that everybody has it and we just need to wear a mask to prevent that spread from going any further. Do you guys have any input on that? I com- I completely agree. In addition to that, I'll say that I can understand how, how the question can even be presented because I feel like, especially depending, because we don't know what state this person is from. So depending on what, what, which state you live in, there's been a lot of mixed messaging from the city you live in versus the state that you live in, the governors and the mayors. And it's just been a lot of, inconsistent guidelines and recommendations across the board. 
And then if you're looking above to, you know, the White House to kind of like standardize it for you, that's not happening either. So I completely agree with everything that Dr. Nono said. And I completely, I completely understand how there can be a lot of this mixed messaging. Like, yes, you need to hear, but kind of not. But yes, no. At the end of the day, you need a mask across the board. If you're outside of your house, outside of your bubble, wear a mask. I completely agree. And then look at the look at the countries that have you know brought their case rates down to almost zero. You know, in every country where that is the case, there is there is a countrywide mandate of everyone wearing masks. So if we have that bare minimum, imagine how many like rates we could decrease of you know news of, of spread just by wearing a piece of cloth, a piece of whatever across our nose and our mouth, please. It just irks me to see people where they have the mask pulled down like below their nose, which it completely defeats the purpose because that is also how virus particles spread. They go up into your nose, into your respiratory system, and that is exactly how you get it. So you not covering your nose because it's uncomfortable is not helping anybody. So please wear a mask and do it correctly. Tuck your nose in. Yes. Exactly. Completely co-signing. And, that right. go- and that's bigger than grocery stores and retail. Everywhere. <laughs> Everywhere. Everywhere. Period. Every goddamn place. Wear a mask. <laughs> All right. Next question. Um, All right. So I have been getting yeast infections more often. Two in the last six months. I've gone to the doctor for both and both have completely gone away. How can I prevent myself from getting these again in the future? Prior to these recent ones, I haven't had a yeast infection in years. All right, PCPs, what you got? (laughs) That is a hard question to answer because there are so many variables. First, plug, you need to be talking to your primary care doctor or your gynecologist about your recurring yeast infections. Because this is tricky. Who are your sex partners or not your sex partners? Are you diabetic or not diabetic? What does your day-to-day routine look like? Do you sweat a lot? Are you in an environment where you're moist all the time? How often do you change out those clothes? That can vary. So generally, when women are having frequent yeast infections, one of the things that I want to know is when was the last time you remember not getting recurring yeast infections and what changed that started those infections coming more rapidly? Some people will say, Oh, you know what? I picked up this new diet or I started running at lunchtime. Something <laughs> changes, right? So now you're sweaty cause you got to get back to work, but you're trying to get your, you know, your exercise in. And so you kind of run back in, but now you've got these sweaty clothes on all day and that will change your pH, you know, balance. And then you may have, you know, yeast infection. So that's, it's hard to know. What we know is that the medicine works and it's clearing it up, but you really need to sit down with your doctor and kind of lay out all the options. But there's many things to look at. Look at your sexual partners, look at your diet, look at your activity level mm-hmm. and go from there. Also, y'all do not need to douche. I have seen so many people, well, when I was in clinic. So you douching is 
a I don't know how many millions of dollars they make every year, like with the premise that your vagina is not clean, it needs to be cleaned out, and they provide the resources for you to do that. Your vagina will clean itself. You do not need anything extra to stick up there to clean it out. So douching messes up the pH balance in your in your uh, regular flora. And that is also a nidus for yeast infections and other infections as well. Because that when you kind of mess up that pH balance, that gives the opportunity for other stuff to grow that's not so nice. And that can also lead to a lot of irritation and itching and just overall feeling really crummy. So, yeah. One other thing I would add to that, one other thing I would add to that, I would also ask if there's recent antibiotic antibiotic use. Because sometimes if you were treated for a UTI or something, and then you could get the yeast infection. So that's another thing I would ask. I would also decrease your overall irritants. I co-sign everything that's been said by Amy Joe MD, Dr. Chris and Dr. Nono. But um, I would just, I would even think bigger than that. If six months ago, if that's when all this started, if you changed any laundry detergents, if you decided that you're going to go to Victoria's Secret and get some silky underwear that you've never worn before, you were doing all cotton before six months ago. And all of a sudden you're like, you know what? It was the anniversary. I want to do <laughs> something nice for babe. <laughs> We're going to get the silky silks and this is the new normal because that could cause it too, you know, because things, you know, you need to minimize your irritants, make sure that like, you know, your genitals can breathe. It's good to have good hygiene yes. across the board, which you may or may not know. I'm sure I would hope that if you've brought this up to your primary care doctor and you've been treated twice, that she's kind of talked to you a little bit about hygiene and how that can help and how you can minimize recurrences. But just little things like that, that, you know, maybe you could have changed six months ago that weren't really a factor before then, if you were good before then. And since we are all friends here, we are all women um, and we're all among friends. So I'm sure the question of sex toys has come up. Um Yes, sex toys, if they're not clean properly, if they have not been um, sanitized properly and you stick them up to where the sun don't shine, yes, you will definitely get those infections recurrently. Not You'll saying get more than not, that. You will get definitely more than that. So I'm not saying this. So reader, I'm sorry. This I'm not sure this is happening to you, but just disclaimer for anyone that has a sex toy or whatnot. You need to clean it after every single use. And, you know, sometimes you would also, depending on what type of sex toys you have out there, you also may need to put a condom on it before you insert it up, you know, to get your, your, your kicks. So um, that, is, that is also another source for, also another source for UTIs as well. To piggyback a little bit off of what um, Dr. Nono also mentioned, since she like dove into the sex toys, which I didn't know we were going there. That's fine. I know. So, I'm like, so, that, was that part right, of the question? Right. Right. Like, it, it, it wasn't part of the question. Like, no transition, nothing. <laughs> but since we're diving into sex toys, I can also dive again and say that if you happen to be sharing your sex toys, as in same-sex relationships, that that is also Not another bad. way that you can you know transfer yeast infections to one person to another. If you are in a same-sex relationship with another woman if you are also as well a woman or identify as a woman so that is also something to be considered but it all comes back to the point that dr nona was trying to say which was please wash your sex toys please 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 do soap and water you know i'm not talking about hand sanitizer any of that like just good old soap and water you know oh my god that would hurt 
do not put alcohol. It would. That's why. That's why I'm trying to be. I'm. I'm trying to be completely transparent. You know, soap and water gets the job done. Definitely does. What do we have next? All righty. Next, we have time for one more. We do. All right. Okay. So we got. As the pandemic goes on, I've been trying to prioritize my mental health. I don't think I have any history of depression or anything like that. Sometimes I don't know whether I should bring up my mental health struggles to my partner, my primary doctor, or if I need to look for a therapist. Any guidance would be great. Man. I think you can start with any of those. Mm-hmm. Um, you can start in, in all of those are good options. T- telling someone that knows you to express how you're feeling can also help you get some direction. Maybe your significant other has similar experiences or has a counselor telling your primary care doctor, also a good option. We can discuss treatment options, therapy, medications, how those work, what the concerns would be. And we can also put a referral in for you to see a therapist. None of those are bad options. The key in the whole thing is really identifying that there may be something happening with your mood that you notice is different and expressing that there's something happening with your mood that you know is different that you don't like. It is interfering with how you are going about your day, how you're going about your job or your school, how you interact with family and friends. And if it's if it's a problem for you, then you can start with any of those options to get some direction on what to do next. I concur. Yes, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think sometimes like, you know, especially with COVID going on, everybody is on edge and everyone is anxious, right? Mm -hmm. And so then like uh, Dr. Amy Jo was saying, it's kind of like, how much does this interfere into your life? And sometimes you might have these issues or have these feelings and can't really talk to somebody that you're close to. And that's why your primary care physician is a good person to just talk to them about that. You know, they don't know you the same way necessarily. And, you know, they can, it's a safe space where you can say your feelings and not have judgment. So I think it's, it's really good to really try to reach out, talk to your primary care doctor, even talk to somebody that you're close to. Therapy is always a good option. I think everybody should do therapy. Everybody. Yeah, if it were up to me, everybody have a primary care doctor and a therapist. Like we would yes. talk about them like the same. Like you know how people are like, who's your primary care doctor? Oh, you know, you know, Doctor Nono is my primary care doctor. I would if it if in in my world, your primary care doctor and your therapist don't have to be the same, but we'd have it that common. Like oh, you know, Doctor Such is my therapist. You know, I see them. You know, I'm on maintenance. I see them once a month or, you know, I see them once every three months. Well, you know, I've been going a little bit more often. Like, I wish we could normalize it. I wish we had enough of them out there to normalize it so that you just had one. Not because you did it, but you just checked in every three months for routine mental health maintenance to see, are you good? Are are you sure you're good? Has anything happened since the last time? So therapists are, are amazing. If you need one, get one. When Dr. Nono was reading the letter, um, the fact that she even said at the end, or should I get a therapist? The fact that she even included therapy or he or she even included therapy in this letter is a good sign to me because I have had so many patients that aren't even, therapy is not even on their radar. 
Like that's not even something they're even considering. They're like, oh, can you prescribe me something for this? Or how do I get rid of this? Like how, how do we, you know, I think it's stemming from this. How do I get rid of this? But at the end of the day, I, I completely agree with uh, Amy, Joe, and Dee, because if you have a doctor and if you have a therapist, you have someone taking care of the body, someone taking care of the mind as a whole, you are well-rounded. Someone's keeping track of all of this and they can help guide you through your day-to-day. And it's awesome. Like that's, that is the most optimal situation for you to be in. And I, I think, I think that as time has gone on, we're starting to get more dialogue about it. And, you know, we're getting more education about it and it's spreading and people are like, you know, mental health is becoming more of a priority, but it's not completely normalized to the point where it's like, who's your PCP? Who's your therapist? We're not there yet, but I completely agree. If that was the new normal, man, especially during the pandemic, it would be great. And game changer. I mean, this pandemic has like exposed mental health to to no end. At one point, at one point, we were running out of a particular anti-anxiety medicine. Like it was low in pharmacies, like out in the state. Wow. So I know that people are are feeling anxious, but a therapist is a good start for people who do not want to do medicine. I have a lot of people that say, you know, I'm just not really feeling medicine. That's fine. Let's talk to a therapist. Let's get you a neutral zone where you can kind of lay it all out, your feelings, your emotions, and see where we go from there. So you know, good luck to you, reader, to you, question writer. I appreciate the question. Uh, but I would I would start with a therapist if you're concerned about talking to your significant other or if you sit down with your primary care doctor and you decide that you don't want to do a medication, a therapist is a great option. So with that, I want to make a little plug. So I actually found a great resource for you to find a therapist um, in your area. Um, it's through the National Alliance on Mental Health, uh, the NAMI organization, and they actually have a nationwide database of therapists of different um, uh, genders, different sexes, LGBTQ friendly. Um, they have a humongous database for you to find a therapist that would you know be, you would be most comfortable with. So if you actually call their hotline, which is one 6264 or if you email them at info at nami.org, um, you can definitely find um, the, the therapist within your area and definitely kind of start from there. Because um, I definitely 2020 has not been has not been a good year for a lot of people, um, especially in my family and you know friends that I know. It has been a really, really tough year for everybody. So. Um, if this was a year to be able to normalize seeking um, extra help, you know, or extra uh, person just to vent to about what's been going on in the community or what's been going on in your personal life, now would be the year. So definitely I would take advantage of that and go from there. I want to put a plug in because I have given this to some patients who are very particular to wanting a Black therapist. So I've been sending people to Therapy for Black Girls site because on their site, you can put in, search for, find therapists and you can put your address in. I think now they even have a setup that you can select in office versus virtual. So Therapy for Black Girls is also a good site for people who are saying, I'm I'm chocolate. I want my therapist to be chocolate. How do I find it? Therapy for Black Girls is a a good spot to to start. Um, so check that out too. 
Um, if you have any more questions that you would like us to answer on uh, upcoming shows, please email us at thechocolatemds at gmail.com. And please don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and also our Instagram at thechocolatemds. Um, and also you can type in the name of our podcast, uh, Chocolate with a Side of Medicine, and we will be posting updates for upcoming shows and also relevant info for you. Um, so please uh, stick with us and we hope to see you back here again. Before we sign off for the episode, does anybody have anything on their heart or mind that they would like to share with the audience? Are all hearts and minds clear? Like as the church would say at the all end. All hearts and <laughs> minds are clear. Well, you know, I, we kind of mentioned off. So if anybody is jumping in at the end of this, they'll think we've been talking about COVID for this whole hour. So just to give you a quick wrap up, we are saddened by the loss of the Black Panther uh, Chadwick Bozeman was an amazing actor and we're going to all miss him for many reasons, for his grace, for his ability to bring someone on the screen. And that has brought us to this moment to talk about colon cancer, which is what we came here to talk about. So if you missed it, if you are 45 to 75 and have never talked to a doctor about colon cancer, this is your chance to do that. You do not have to get a colonoscopy on your first attempt. We've got some other tools that you can use so that we can screen you. It may end in a colonoscopy though. Don't eat bacon and processed meats, increase your fruits and vegetables and see your primary care doctor. So my only plug. Yes, yes. Another thing, know your bowel habits. Know how often you go. Know what your poop looks like. That helps us. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Um, we always appreciate you guys as listeners. You guys are always appreciated. And you guys can definitely look out for our next episode within the next, within the next week or two. And as always, stay safe. Bye. Bye.